I felt the cold metal of the rifle barrel push against the back of my neck and understood the silent order. Sadia, her son, Tuesday and I all got up to our feet, hands raised high as a symbol of compliance. I tried to look over my shoulder, but the rifle jabbed at me again, pushing me out towards Anton and the other soldiers. Tyson fell like dead wood, face first into the ground as the main soldier pushed past him and drove the stock of his rifle into Anton's guts, spitting at him as he doubled over in pain. That's for risking all our lives, you spoilt little shit, he hissed at him. Anton just groaned as one of the other soldiers tied his hands securely behind his back with a plastic zip tie before moving on to us. He grabbed me by the elbow and spun me round to tie my hands as well. There was only one soldier behind us, but he was huge, a hulking mass of muscle. The rifle looked like a toy in his hands as he pointed the dangerous end at Tuesday and Sadia. We're here for the general's son and, and two companions, right? He called out to the others. Who's this lady with the kid? A soldier standing over Anton, clearly the leader of the group, squeezed the trigger on a radio attached to the molly webbing on his vest. We have the package. Please confirm, target plus two companions, over. After a spasm of static, a thin voice replied. Copy that, Captain. Correct. Target plus two companions, one male, one female. My heart raced. I thought I was Wilson. I couldn't get stuck here in whatever Anton was caught up in. I had to get to my family. I stepped towards the captain. You're making a mistake. I'm not but before I could finish, he smacked me across the mouth with his rifle, and the soldier, who had tied my hands, kicked my legs out from under me. The pain of the blow against the tender wound on my chin was blinding. The captain patted down Sadia, removed the gun from the wrap around her waist, and examined it in the moonlight. Where'd you get this then? he asked her. She didn't answer him. The boy clung to her leg, staring wide-eyed at the soldiers. The captain turned and aimed the revolver at Anton lying on the ground. Are you involved in this attention-seeking bullshit as well? He asked her. She looked down at Anton but didn't reply. So he swung his arm and pushed the barrel of the gun against the back of Tuesday's head. Well? He asked. How do you fit in with all of this? Sadia still didn't answer him. Frustrated, he shoved Tuesday to the ground and aimed the gun at me. The boy screamed and ran to my side. A tear welled in Sadia's eye as a vicious smile wormed its way across the captain's mouth. So you do know this scum, he spat at her. Slowly, she stepped protectively between the gun and her son. Sorry, she said. English, not much. The gun wavered slightly in the air between them as Sadia raised her hands. They... They help us, she said. The captain's grip shifted on the weapon. 
Then the big guy spoke up. The civvies, Cap. He's just a boy. The captain let the weapon drop. Fine. Take her and the boy back to the convoy. Put them on a truck with the others. The giant reached out a hand to Sadia. Sorry, love. It's been a really long night. If you want to come with me, we got to get out of the city. Sadia looked down as her son pulled at the plastic digging into my wrists. The conflict here had nothing to do with her. Moving with the military was probably the safest place for her and her son to be. I didn't want to jeopardize that, so I just smiled and nodded to her. She knelt down and whispered something to her son. He stared straight at me and then held his hand up to his chest. Aaron, he said. I'm Aaron. The lump in my throat stopped me from replying as Sadia picked him up and the three of them walked away. As soon as they were out of sight, the captain kicked Anton in the belly hard. My orders were to locate you and your fuck-up friends and bring you in, he said through gritted teeth as he lifted Anton's head off the ground by his hair. But... Your dad asked me to teach you a lesson first. He looked again at Sadia's gun in his other hand. Normally, I think a parent should discipline their own children, but I'm willing to make an exception in this case. He shoved Anton's head back down and got to his feet, looking over at Tyson's near lifeless body. I lost two good men to these fucking zombies, following this traitor in here to find you. All because you got some fucking daddy issues and you're trying to push some bullshit theory. Tuesday couldn't hold back any longer. She shouted up at him. This isn't about us, you fucking idiot. It's about trying to save all those people out there. From all you trigger-happy morons. The soldier who had us tied up pressed his gun against her head again. Shut the fuck up, bitch, or I'll show you trigger-happy. The other remaining soldier circled around the captain closer to the stadium. The wave of screams intensified. Anton rolled to his side and looked up at the captain. I honestly don't give a fuck what you do to me. Just make sure my father gets what's in that bag. The captain glanced down at Tuesday's bag lying on the cement in front of Anton. My orders were to locate you and your fuck-up friends, teach you a lesson, and bring you in, he repeated, staring blankly at the bag. No one said anything about carrying your fucking bags for you. Anton pulled his legs up to his chest and rolled onto his knees. Look, I'm sorry about your men. I don't want anyone to die. That's the whole fucking point. What's in that bag might offer some serious insight into what we're dealing with here. There might be a better way. He grew angry. They're planning to burn the entire city, man. The captain looked pained for a moment, then stiffened up again. I don't question the integrity of decisions made by my superiors, he replied. You've seen how quickly this has spread. We need to take action. Cut off the snake's head. This is war. 
Sometimes there's collateral damage. Besides, I trust the greatest minds of our military a little more than a spoiled piece of shit like you. Anton's shoulders sank. Then the soldier closest to the stadium called out. They're pushing against the gates! We've got to get the fuck out of here, Cap! So did I. But how? They clearly weren't interested in hearing what I had to say. Tuesday struggled, trying to free her wrists and wriggle away from the gun still resting on the back of her head. Seeing the plastic zip tie digging into the exposed flesh on her wrists gave me an idea. I just had to wait for the right moment. The captain looked up at the heaving stadium gates. Discipline first, then we move out, he replied. He spoke slowly as he backed away from Anton. This isn't my firearm, he whispered. It was very unfortunate that when we tried to apprehend you, you fired upon us. That wasn't very smart. He stopped next to Tyson and slowly dropped his arm down to his side, the muzzle of the gun swaying just above Tyson's head. Very unfortunate that before we could restrain you, your friend here caught one of those stray bullets. He squeezed the trigger and I felt the concrete beneath me shudder as the bullet passed through Tyson and into the ground. Tuesday screamed and bucked up against the soldier behind her. I twisted my hand, running my fingers along the edge of the hard plastic body armour on my forearm, and felt the handle of the scalpel I had jammed there back in the lab. The soldier closest to the stadium started shouting again, They're coming through! They're coming through the fucking gates! I looked up as the captain and the soldier holding Tuesday turned and began firing into the infected pushing at the gates. Then something fell from above and splattered into the cement in front of the ticket office. A swarm of the infected were climbing over the safety railings at the upper tier of the stadium and were falling or leaping through the air towards the soldiers like frenzied kamikaze pilots, spraying bone fragments and flesh shrapnel into the air as they slammed into the ground. I pulled the scalpel free and fumbled with it, trying to cut the tie around my wrists without opening a vein. Anton shuffled on his knees over to his friend's body. Then somehow, I'd done it. My hands were free and I got up to my feet. One of the soldiers screamed as an infected man fell through the air and crushed him into the cement. The captain started firing into the crowd climbing over the barricades above, trying to stop the flow. I quickly cut the tires on Tuesday's wrists and handed her the blade. Anton looked up at me with tears streaming down his face. Go man! Now! I ran like I've never run before, like a wild animal, wounded and desperate to avoid the jaws snapping at my heels. Nothing hurt anymore though, I was numb, detached, floating out of body, watching as the bones of my heels smacked into the wet road underfoot, driving me forward. There was another bridge still standing, further down the road, I veered onto it, aiming for the most direct route home. There was a group of infected up ahead, but I didn't stop. I shoved past one and looked for a gap between the three or four others standing in the street up ahead. When I realised something was off, I slowed my pace and then stopped. None of them were even looking at me. 
I turned slowly, expecting to see fog or something worse behind me. But the road was empty. It took me a few moments to realise they were looking at the morning sun, creeping up over the horizon, totally paralysed by the light. The movement of their chests expanding and contracting rapidly made their bodies sway as they stared up at the giant burning orb, panting like wounded dogs. I cautiously moved past them and picked up pace again. Up ahead, a car had driven off the road and down through a high fence, blocking off the railway tracks below. I scrambled down the embankment and onto the tracks. The car, wrapped in chunks of the chain-link fence, sat across the rails, and the driver, entangled in the wire and remnants of the vehicle's windscreen, lay awkwardly across the hood of the car, hyperventilating and staring up at the sky. I moved to the middle of the tracks and started running again. Similar to the parkland, this red carpet wrapped right around the city, but there were no trees or rivers full of horrors here. Just a wide pathway of swept clean stones, steel, and sleepers, four sets of tracks wide for most of the way home. The sunlight was warm against my skin and I cried as I ran. The exhaustion, emotion and cocktail of endorphins running through me was breaking me down. After a while, the tracks ran underneath the six-lane overpass. On the road above, heading out of the city, was a huge line of military vehicles, troop carriers, canvas-covered trucks and ATVs. The convoy, I thought, and hoped Sadir and Aaron were safely with them. I broke away from the tracks as they intersected with Henley Beach Road and made my way through the streets towards home. There were signs of the evening's chaos everywhere, crippled infected lying in the streets or trapped in vehicles staring up at the sky, buildings burning, scattered craters, but no fog anywhere. My body summoned up one last burst of strength as I turned the corner onto our street. I was almost there. Please let my family be safe. But my heart dropped as I pushed through our gate and saw the front door to our house was wide open. Frantic, I called out as I ran through the hallway, ripping each door open only to find one empty room after another. They weren't there. I stood in the kitchen, shaking. Where were they? Where would they have gone? What happened? Then I heard a scraping sound coming from the laundry. They would have heard me calling out if it was my family. I pulled a knife from the block on the kitchen bench and quietly walked up to the laundry door. I could hear an irregular scraping sound and muffled breaths inside, and I fought back tears at the thought of what was waiting for me behind the door but I gripped the knife in one hand, twisted the handle with the other, and shoved it open. With its head buried in a large open bag of dried dog food was our golden retriever, Fergus. He looked up at me with his dopey brown eyes and barked excitedly. My legs gave out from under me and I fell to my knees. Hey buddy, I whispered. 
Good to see you too. I leant back against the washing machine and hugged him tight. What happened, buddy? Where did they go? All he could do in response was lick my face again and whimper. I sat there desperately running every possible scenario through my mind. Where would they have gone? Then I looked at the heavy 20 kilo bag of dog food on the floor in front of me and wondered how Fergus had managed to get it down out of the cupboard by himself. He couldn't have. We had to keep it above the sinks because the greedy dog couldn't regulate himself. He kept ripping into the bag and eating it until he made himself sick. Someone must have pulled the bag down for him. Back in the kitchen, the pantry door was open and a couple of shelves had been scraped clean. I ran down the hall. The cupboards in the kids' room were open as well and half their clothes were missing. Fergus followed me into the master bedroom and jumped up onto the bed. The drawers of Susie's dresser were open as well and the big suitcase on top of the wardrobe was gone. They must have left in a hurry, but they'd packed. And that alone gave me hope. Fergus barked at me from the bed. I sat down beside him, my head spinning. I was exhausted. I lay back, the familiar weave of the pillowcase against my cheek and the smell of Susie's moisturiser dragged me even closer towards sleep. I reached up to hold her pillow, but my hand fell on something cold and hard. Susie's phone. I needed to see their faces again, so I squeezed the power button and punched in her passcode. The lock screen animation danced away and a blurry freeze frame of Susie's face filled the screen. It was a video, so I hit the play button with my thumb. She was holding the phone at arm's length and pulling clothes out of the closet in the kids' room with her free hand. The light from a torch swung across her face. Billy, try and hold the torch still. Come here, we need to talk to Daddy. My boy leant into frame and wrapped an arm around his mother's neck. Is Dad on the phone? He asked excitedly. There was heartbreak in her eyes as she held him tight. No, honey. We're going to send him a message so he knows we're okay. Bella, come. Come and talk to Daddy. Bella pushed past her brother and sat on Susie's knee as well. She had big furry earmuffs over her ears and dry tears on her cheeks. Then Susie spoke again. I'm sorry, Tom. We waited as long as we could. I, I can't. She stopped herself and took a breath. The army's here. Jen from next door and Nick were hiding here with us, but but we're all going to go with the soldiers. She turned the phone and pointed the camera out the window. One of the large canvas-covered military trucks was on the street in front of the house, and a group of soldiers were scattered throughout our yard and the street. She spun the camera back. They won't tell us where we're going. All they're saying is that the city isn't safe. She glanced out the window off camera. I could see a smear of blood across the side of her neck, but there was no visible wound. It isn't safe here, she repeated. Billy held his torch up under his chin and leant in towards the phone. We love you, Dad. Bella nodded and fidgeted with her earmuffs. We love you more than anything, Tom, Susie whispered. Come find us. 
okay? And the video stopped. I curled up, cradling the phone and wept. I wanted to get up and run after them, but I couldn't will my legs to move. My head was spinning and my lungs ached. Through a veil of tears, I played the video over and over again until my body pulled the emergency reset switch and I fell into a deep sleep. It wasn't a restful slumber. Nightmare visions of giant writhing beasts and animated corpses burned through my mind. Gina, Connor, Kel and Wilson desperately trying to escape them but being caught one by one and torn to pieces. I saw the light from Davo's lantern dancing and being snuffed out, the image playing on a loop. And then I dreamt of Sadia and Aaron being led by the big soldier to the convoy of military trucks. He kindly helped them up onto the back of one of the canvas-covered transport vehicles, and they took a seat alongside a group of other survivors. Aaron rested his head on Sadia's lap and looked along the row of faces sat across from them. A boy about the same age leant against his mother and played with a short length of cord wrapped around the handle of a torch. His sister sat beside him, fuzzy earmuffs perched up on her head. She adjusted them and then lay in her mother's lap, just as Aaron was, and smiled at him. I woke to the sound of Fergus howling. I had no idea how long I was out for, but it must have been a while. The light coming through the window was dim. I tried to reach out and settle him, but an excruciating pain shot through my back as I lifted my arm. He growled and shifted his weight nervously before jumping off the bed and running outside. I rolled slowly and swung my legs off the edge of the bed so I could sit up. A low rumble shook the ground and the glass rattled in the window frames. I stumbled outside as the first squadron flew over us towards the city. Fergus barked and growled up at them. A second formation ripped through the sky overhead, low enough for me to see the missiles detach from under the wings. Then, there was a fraction of a second before the first impact, where it sounded like the air above me was splitting apart on a molecular level. Copyright Jasper St. Auburn West, 2020. All rights reserved.